Well, you'll find our text tonight. How many of you brought your Bible with you? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? I want to ask you to turn to the book of James tonight, chapter 1, way over the New Testament toward the end of the Bible. James chapter 1, page 1307. If you have an old Schofield Bible, I'd like to read a couple of verses here. And as we've been doing, just use this more or less to launch us into our message for this evening, the book of James chapter number 1. I do want to encourage you. I'll probably say more about that here in a moment, but Man, we need to really pray, as Brother Baker reminded us on, on Sunday night. Really pray and pour ourselves into prayer as we move toward the Lord's Day. And just pray that God will help us and meet with us and uh, just speak to our hearts and change lives and save souls. And, and the folks that get saved or get baptized, join the church. And, and uh, just uh, get, God will just give us a good day. You know, we don't deserve anything, but I sure am looking forward to having a pretty Sunday. And uh, I hope that that'll be the case Sunday, and I trust everything will just go well for us, and the Lord will bless us with a good day. James chapter 1, if you're there, would you say amen? I want you to look now, if you will, at verse number 21. I'd like to read verse 21 and verse 22. Now, we're thinking along the lines of the Word of God. The Word of God. And here we go. Verse 21 says this, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Now, what does all that mean? Well, he goes on to say, And receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now, believe it or not, what I've just read to you right there in those, those two verses is a great recipe or a recipe to have a great Sunday, a great service at the house of God. Now, if you look there at verse 21, we're told what we ought to do before we come to church. What should we do before we come to church? Verse 21, we ought to get somewhere and just lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. I mean, we ought to get somewhere and just confess our sins and, and get them under the blood and not drag all that mess in over here at the house of God where the Spirit of God will be grieved and He can't work because we got so much sin going on in our life. Buddy, we ought to lay that stuff aside, lay it apart. Let me put it in good Bible terminology. Confess your sins to Jesus and then come over here and maybe God can bless us and move. Uh, the truth of the matter is God will not, God won't bless us if we come to church with a bunch of filthiness and a, and a bunch of naughtiness in our lives. Can I have an amen? Sin affects how God moves and how God works. And uh, always remember, I mean, just uh, I, I'm talking about just one, uh, one person's sin can mess up a whole service if we're not careful. I remind, I'm reminded back of the book of Numbers, I believe it was, that when Miriam, the sister of Moses, got out of sorts, I mean, God stopped the whole nation of Israel for seven days because one woman started running her mouth and got, got out of sorts with her brother, and God brought the whole nation to a screeching halt because she had filthiness and naughtiness in her life. Well, I'd lay that stuff aside before we come over here. I couldn't mention about old Achan in the Bible. Achan had that, uh, stole that Babylonish garment, that wedge of gold and 50 shekels of silver, tucked it over there under his tent. Just one man, not the whole nation, just one man, but the whole nation came to a screeching halt because of one man's sin. I'm just trying to say, before we ever come over here, hey, let's spend some time in the prayer closet laying aside the filthiness and the naughtiness of our life, and then maybe God can work when we come to church. 
That's what we do before church. Notice again, verse 21, here's what we do during church. Now, what do we do during church? We receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Hey, what did he say when you come over here to church? Don't reject the word. You what? You... Y'all, it'd be good if you'd help me right here just a little bit. We receive the Word. We don't reject it. I planted a lot of gardens in my life, most of them of which have never done anything much. But, uh, you know, when you, when you go down the row and you're planting corn or whatever you may be planting, and you drop that seed in, uh, if that ground spicks it back out, it ain't going to do, do no good. And the Bible said that when we come to church, man, we ought to receive with meat. How, how should we receive the Word? With meekness. Don't blow up at it. Don't, get, don't, don't, don't bow your back at it. Don't get mad at the preacher because he's preaching the Word of God. Uh, man, receive it with meekness. Why? It'll save your soul. You say, well, I'm already saved. Then it'll save your life. I'm persuaded to believe if we'd listen to the Bible, we could save a lot of problems that go on in our life if we just listen to the Bible, the Word of God. Save you a lot of problems at home. Save you a lot of job, a lot of trouble person in your life. If we just receive with meekness the engrafted, the implanted word, which can do a great work in our hearts and lives. What do we do before church? Get rid of stuff. What do we do during church? We receive it. And then what do we do after church? Somebody tell me. Look at verse 22. But be ye. Don't just hear it. Don't just come in here and hear it. You know, a lot of God's people, man, we've got fat and sassy here in the Word of God. Uh, you know, we, we hear it, we take it in, we take it in, but we never get out here in the world and do what the Bible tells us to do. What do we do after church? We do what the Bible, the Word, tells us to do. Be a doers of the Word, not hearers only deceiving your own, cheating your own self. I hate to get cheated, don't you? You go to the McDonald's through the drive-thru and they leave your fries out and you don't know it till you get home. Or they leave your baked potato out of the Cracker Barrel bag and you get home and you don't have it. I'm telling you, I hate to get cheated. And we cheat ourselves when we just constantly take in the Word of God. We never get out here and do the Word of God. We're cheating. We're deceiving our own selves. Amen. We're talking about the Bible. Now, we're in a series of messages that I've been calling Great Bible Words that every child of God should know. And, of course, you know by now it's a series that, what the title suggests. We're just looking through the Bible at some great words that we find in the Word of God that we ought to be familiar with as we live out these last, these last days. Now, for an outline to this, these, these words, we're just using our English alphabet. We, we started several weeks ago now looking at A words in the Bible, B words. On, and last week, we were in those I words of the Bible, great Bible words that begin with the letter I. And we talked about the word intercession. And we talked about the word imputation. Y'all help me. We talked about the word immutable. We talked about the word whatever the other one was. Immortal. I'm just checking you. See, I said that. I was just checking y'all to be sure that you remembered all that. So that was last week. We were on the letter I. Tonight, we come to the letter J. The letter J. Now, as, as I move further and further into these, these letters, the one thing I'm realizing is most of the words in our Bible that begin with the letter J are either the names of people or they're the names of places. Now, last week, when we got to the letter I, there was only one book of our Bible that begins with the letter I, and that's the book of Isaiah. 
But did you know, if you'll just go through the Bible, you'll find out, you'll find out there are a whopping 11 books of our Bible that begin with the letter J. Let me see if I can name them all for you in order. There's Joshua and Judges. There's Job and Jeremiah. There's Joel and the book of Jonah. There's the Gospel of John, the book of James, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the little book of Jude. 11 books of our Bible that begin with the letter J. A few weeks ago, I told you there are over 3,200 people in our Bible who are named. And let me tell you something. Some of the greatest people in our Bible, their names begin with the letter J. You know, we barely read through the first eight chapters of our Bible. We run into an old boy by the name of Japheth. Remember Japheth? He was one of the sons of Noah. And no doubt the head of the Caucasian race, Japheth, one of the sons of Noah. Great man of the Bible. What about this one, Judah? Judah's one of the sons of, uh, of, uh, of Jacob, uh, one of the sons of Israel. And Judah was the tribe through whom the Messiah would come. Judah, what a great name, great person in the Bible. What about Jesse? Anybody, not Jesse James. What about Jesse? Anybody know who Jesse was? You're right. He was the daddy of King David. What about Jehu in the Bible? What a great man. You know, Jehu was the man that God called to rid the northern kingdom of the worship of Baal. And I like old Jehu because the Bible said he driveth furiously. And that's how I drove coming down the road to church tonight. I drove furiously to get here. I love old Jehu. And then one of my favorite people in the Bible, the boy king by the name of Josiah. All of these people. Then we come across into the New Testament. There's Joseph the foster father of Jesus. There's Judas, uh, I'm sorry, there's uh, Judas Iscariot, Judas. And then what about this? What, how could I not mention this name? Jesus. Great people in our Bible that begin. Now I told you, 3,287 people in our Bible that are named. But did you know something? In the Bible, there are only 188 named women in the Bible. Some of those women that, whose name begins with the letter J is this one. Jochebed. You say, Jocka who? Jochebed, the mother of Moses. What about this one? I know you know this one now. Jezebel, your mother-in-law. Jezebel. She rose up and painted her face, put that green stuff over her eyes, look like her gallbladder done busted. busted. Jezebel. And then what about this one over in the uh, New Testament? We don't hear a lot about her, but well, what a great lady. She was Joanna. Joanna was a woman that was filled with many, uh, possessed with many evil spirits, and she was graciously saved by, by our Savior and became one of his closest followers in the Bible. J, Joanna. Then what about this? Some great places in our Bible that begin with the letter J. What about Joppa? Anybody remember Joppa? That's where Peter was at over there when Cornelius went over there to, to, to meet him and God opened the doors to the Gentile when Peter had that vision of that sheet with the four corners and all kind of animals dancing around it. Oh, my goodness. What about Joppa? Then what about this? What about, what about Jezreel? What about Jericho? And how could we mention places without talking about Jerusalem? All great words. I tell you, bless your heart, I'm telling you just about every word in our Bible that starts with the letter J is either a name of a place or a person. But never fear. I found enough of them to make a sermon out of them. J words. Are you ready? What about this good J word right here? Words, great words of the Bible begin with the letter J. What about the word justification? Just 
sanctification. That word appears, or some form of it, appears 155 times in the Bible. Now, it's really one of those great Bible words that we really don't hear a whole lot about. But let me tell you what it is. It's one of those great presents, or maybe I should say one of those great gifts that comes along with the salvation package. You do understand that when God saved us, salvation is a one-time happening, one-time event in our lives. That's why I never encourage people to come up here and get resaved. It's not taught in the Bible to get resaved. That's why we don't encourage people to get rebaptized. Uh, salvation is a once, one time and a once and for all happening in our lives. But let's just face it, the salvation package comes with a lot of special gifts in it. You ever seen maybe somebody wrap up this big old box and as you, you begin to tear away uh, the, the paper and open up the box, there's a smaller box and then a smaller box. And, and in that one big package, there's a lot of boxes and a lot of other gifts in that one big gift. That's the way it is with the salvation package. There's a lot of stuff that comes along with that one time, once and forever event called salvation. Boy, there's a lot of stuff to unpackage in that. Amen? I mean, you stop and think about it. We don't really get a hold of it when we first get saved. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, really all I knew was I didn't want to go to hell. And I know Jesus, I, I, I figured, or, or the Holy Spirit told me Jesus was the only one that could keep me out of hell. So I accepted Jesus. But the longer I've been in church, bless your heart, the more preaching that I've heard, and the more that I've read the Bible for myself, the more I come to understand that when God saved me, he did just so much more than just forgive me of my sins. Unbelievable. All that God did for us. It's like this big old package. And boy, there's so much that comes along in the package of salvation. What about this word? You know something? When you get saved, there comes this great word. I, they're not on the screen, but there's the word regeneration. You are regenerated. It means to cause to live. It means to give new life. You know, that's what happened to me when I got saved. God regenerated me by the Holy Ghost. Titus, 1, Titus chapter 3, verse number 5. I was regenerated by the Spirit of God. God gave me new life. God gave you new life. That's maybe the reason Paul said it. Any man's in Christ. He's a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. I'd sum your Bible up in only three words. The word generation, the word degeneration, and the word regeneration. Generation, life. That's everything God here. Degeneration, Genesis 3. That's what happened to everything. But thank God Jesus come along and give us the chance to get born again. The first birth, we got life, but we got, we got degenerated in the sight of God. We all became sinners. But thank God, God didn't leave us like that. He came along and regenerated us and gave us brand new life. That come in the salvation package. What about that word imputation? We talked about that word last week. That come along in the package of salvation. How that Jesus took all of our sins and put them on his account. And thank God, God took all the righteousness of Jesus and put that on our account. I'm glad I'm regenerated. I'm glad, thank God, for imputation that God put the righteousness of his own son on my account. What about the word sanctification? Did you know when we got saved by the grace of God, the word sanctify, set apart, God set us apart from the rest of the world? That's why we're not supposed to act like the world. We're not of the world. 
We may be in the world, but we're not of the world. And that's why a Christian who behaves worldly is such a contradiction in terms. How in the world can somebody who's been saved out of the world act like we're still in the world? I know we're still in the world. We don't have to act like, like the world or be of the world. We've been sanctified, set apart. And then what about this word, glorification? That comes in that great salvation package. Now, I'm waiting on that one tonight. Are you? To be glorified one of these days when Jesus comes. We're going to get our new bodies, a glorified body. We're going to be glorified. So watch this now. Regeneration, imputation, sanctification, glorification. All of that comes in the package of salvation. But what about that? Justification. Well, if you look at that word and forget and, and, and drop the efficacy, all you got's the word just. Just. And the word just simply means this. It means innocent. Did you know in our Bible that Jesus himself is called the just one? Several times. For instance, in Acts chapter 3, verse number 14, but you denied the Holy One and the just. That simply means, hey, you denied, you crucified the Holy and the innocent Son of God. When you and I came to Jesus, we were regenerated, we were given new life. When you and I came to Jesus, all of his righteousness was put on our account. When you and I came to Jesus, we were set apart by God. When you and I came to Jesus, there's going to be a future day when we're going to be glorified. But thank God in the meantime, God looks at us as being justified. We have been declared innocent in the sight of guilty. How many of y'all are guilty? Guilty of sin. I mean, buddy, ought to be hung up and strapped and just whooped till, till the life was out of us. But, buddy, when we came to Jesus, God looked at us and declared us to be absolutely innocent. Not just forgiven, but justified, declared to be innocent. Somebody said this, that word justification. Would you put that word back up there? If you break it down, it kind of looks like something like this. Just as if I never sinned. Oh, brother, can you believe that? You think about all that old liquor you drunk. You think about all that old grass you smoked. You think about all that immoral living, those cards you played, those nights down at the hell hole and the nightclub. You think about all of that, and yet when you came to Jesus, God just said, you're absolutely innocent. I declare you to be justified. Boy, that is a good Bible word, justification. But now there's another one i got to explain this one. Not only justification, here's another great J word in our Bible. That's the word joint heir. Now, what does that mean, joint heir? Well, we're told in the book of Romans, and I think it's chapter 8, verse 17, that we are joint heirs with Christ. Now, what does that mean? I mean, justified. Hey, we ought to shout and run around the church over the fact that we've been declared innocent even though we're guilty. God looks at us through the blood of his son, Jesus, and God looks at us as being completely innocent in his sight. Ah, man, that warps my mind. But then think about this. Not only am I justified, but I'm a joint heir with Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you see the word heir, our mind automatically, I guess, defaults a little bit to, to you know, to an inheritance. You know, most of the time, an heir is, is someone who is appointed to receive an inheritance. 
Maybe your parents have died recently, both of them, and there was an estate left behind, maybe a house and a car and furniture and maybe a piece of property or maybe they had some money in the bank or whatever and your parents maybe passed away so you and your siblings got together and you divided up the estate and you inherited your part of the estate. You became an heir. Now we're told in the Bible that once we become God's people that we also become, boy this is another one of those things in that salvation package. We also become a joint heir with Christ. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus is about to inherit everything. Can I tell you something? He's about to get it all. God said he was going to get it. In fact, over the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 2, it says this, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed, what's the next word? Heir of what? All things. In other words, God said, hey, I didn't give everything to my son. And by the way, his son created everything, so it just stands to reason that he ought to inherit all things. But the truth of the matter is, while Jesus was here on this earth, he had nothing, absolutely nothing. Now, he, he's going to get it all. He created it all. He owns it all. He's going to inherit it all. But while he was here on earth, he didn't have anything. He had absolutely nothing. In his own words, Jesus said, The foxes have holes. The birds of the air have their nest. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He had absolutely nothing on this earth, though he created it all, owned it all, and was going to inherit it all. He had absolutely nothing. Can I tell you this? God made Abraham heir of the land of Canaan. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you every, every place the sole of your foot treads upon. I'm going to give you all this land. I'm going to make of you a great nation. But the only thing that Abraham ever, ever owned in this world was a burying plot to bury his wife and himself. But I promise you this, he's going to get every inch of that land that God promised to him one of these days, whether Joe Biden or any Muslim or Arab nation on this world, no matter how much they may protest and they don't want to recognize it, they're going to get every square inch of that property, that profit, a property because God said, I'm going to give it to you. You're heir to it. And let me tell you something. When Jesus came into this world, we're told that Jesus came, John 1 verse number 10, that he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. But this world hadn't seen the last of Jesus because he's getting ready to come back. And when he comes back, as I've said before, he's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. And when he comes back, he's going to get everything that rightfully belongs to him. Psalms 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to get it all, and there's not one thing, the Republicans, the Democrats, the crooked senators like Richard Burr, it's not, and, and I'll throw in the other one because it upsets some of y'all Monday morning, Sunday morning. But every last one of them, he's going to get everything that's coming to him because he owns it all. And God is going to make him to inherit it at all. But here's the blessed thing about it. Guess what? <laughs> because I received him. And because I'm in the family, I'm a joint heir with Jesus. Whatever he gets, guess what? I'm going to get to sharing it with him. Everything that he's going to get, 
I'm going to share with him. I mean, that's hard to believe. I mean, it'd be all right for you in the morning to walk, not in the morning, but the next pretty day. Sunday morning when you come to church, it'd be all right for you to walk up to somebody and say, how y'all enjoying my sunshine today? Ain't my sky so pretty? I'm telling you, beautiful Duke blue sky, isn't that just prettiness today? How do you like my green grass? Oh, look at my trees over here. Boy, look at my road. Look at, I, you know why? Because he's going to get it all. And now that I'm a part of the family, guess what? I get, to, I get to share in the inheritance. I heard many years ago about this old man, this man, him and his wife. He was very wealthy, very, he was very wealthy. Lived in the country of England many years ago. And his wife was very wealthy, and they had a son. And shortly after the son was born, the wife took sick and died, leaving the man with the son. As you might well imagine, this very wealthy man poured his life into that son. I mean, literally gave his whole life to that boy, to the raising of that child. However, that boy hit those turbulent teen years, and like happened so many times, he rebelled against his daddy. He broke his daddy's heart. He left home. And for years and years, he didn't speak to his daddy. In the meantime, this, this very wealthy man had a faithful servant by the name of Marcellus. And even though that boy wouldn't have anything to do with him, old Marcellus was always there for him. He was faithful to him. He loved that man. I mean, answered to his ever beck and whim. I mean, was just good to the man. And several years later, hadn't seen that boy in years. The, the wealthy man took sick and he was going to die. And in his will, he left everything that he had to his faithful servant, Marcellus. Marcellus said, that boy don't care anything about me. I'm not leaving it to him to squander and run through. I'm going to give it to somebody who loves me. I'm going to give it to Marcellus. However, in that will, there was one provision. Since he loved that boy so much, even though that boy grieved his heart, he made one provision in that will, and that's this. The boy, the, the, the rebellious son, could choose one thing out of the estate, but only one, because everything else belonged to Marcellus. On the day that the will was read and it was de declared to the son what the daddy had decreed in the will, the lawyer looked at him after reading the will and said, okay, you got one, one, you've got one uh, thing you can choose from. What do you want? He said, let me get this straight. Now, Marcellus gets it all. He said, yep, except for whatever you choose. He said, then I choose Marcellus. And when he chose Marcellus, he got everything that Marcellus owned. Can I tell you something? When you and I come to Jesus and we said yes to Jesus, we got everything that Jesus owns and he owns it all. And I'm a joint heir. I mean a peon from Podunk. Who ever heard of a preacher from Toast? But you're looking at a millionaire. Hey, look, I'm going, my hometown, they just don't wear gold. Bless God, they pave the streets with it over yonder. Up yonder somewhere, he sang about a minute ago. I mean, man, the walls are made out of fancy diamonds and gates are made out of pearl. And look at me. I'm going to own all of that someday. Hallelujah. You know why? I've been justified, which made me a joint heir with Jesus. Now we got to hurry couple of more and we're done. Here's another J word. You knew I'd get around to this one. <laughs> judgment. 
Did you know that word? Listen to this, and I'll rush through this. But that word judgment is found, or some form of them, is found 706 times in the Bible. I mean, it sounds like to me there's going to be a whole lot of judgment that's going to take place. You know, most people have the mistaken notion when it comes to the judgment of God. They think of just at the end of time, just this one big long day of judgment and everybody's going to be there and God's going to divide partly up into uh, this crowd over here and he's going to set some on his left hand and they're going to be the goats and he's going to set some on his right hand and they're going to be the sheep and if our good outweighs the bad and the scales, the great balances of God, then uh, we'll be permitted interest. And that's the way it's going to be, just one big judgment day. But I tell you, you know something, if you read through the Bible, you'll find out there's not just one day of judgment. In fact, there are seven different judgments that are mentioned in the Bible. I want to give them to you quickly. Here we go. Write them down. First of all, there's a judgment of sin that took place at Calvary. She sang about that just a moment ago, the judgment of sin. That took place at Calvary. Number two, there's a judgment of saints. Saints, the, the, the judgment of the saints is going to take place at the judgment seat of Christ. Of course, we're being judged right now. We're chasing of the Lord right now. But there's going to be an ultimate judgment for us at the judgment seat of Christ. Number three, there's a coming a judgment day for the nation of Israel. Did you know really what the tribulation period is all about? You say, yeah, man, it's God punishing sinners. No, no, no. That's not what the tribulation period is about. It's about God's judgment upon the nation of Israel. I prove it to you. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Listen to this verse. Alas, so that that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The tribulation period is not just about God punishing sinners. It's about God judging the nation of Israel. That's right. And so there's a judgment of sin, judgment of saints, judgment of Israel. What about this judgment of nations? That takes place at the end of the tribulation period. The nations are going to be called before God. That's where the sheep and the goats are in the, in the judgment of the nations. And uh, they'll be judged and rewarded or, or else, uh, uh, they'll, else uh, they'll be punished on the basis of how they've treated the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. And then there's the judgment of angels. Did you know one of these days you and I are going to sit in on the judgment of angels? You read 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. One of these days, all the angels are going to be hauled in to God's great courtroom. And you and I are going to sit in judgment on angels. And then what about this? There's going to be a judgment day for Satan. Boy, I want to be there. Amen. I mean, that rascal is going to get judged by God Almighty himself. And then there's going to be the judgment of sinners at the judgment of the great white throne. Listen. I, we hear songs today about, boy, how we're going to sing and praise God at the judgment of the great white throne. Friend, that's not going to be a scene of, of happiness and joy. That's going to be a scene of utter terror as people are cast into the lake of fire whose names are not written in the book of, Lamb's book of life. Judgment, last word, here we go. Now, we've got justification. We've got joint heir. We've got judgment. And last of all, what about this good Bible word? <laughs> joy. You know something? I've got joy. You know why? I ain't, heading, I ain't heading for that great white throne judgment. I got joy. You know why? I'm a joint heir with Jesus. I've got joy. You know why? I've been justified through the blood of Jesus, declared innocent. And you know, even in these days of abiding White House, we ought to have joy. Maybe not so much happiness. Happiness depends on happenings. Joy depends on Jesus. I've got joy. We just say, didn't we just sing that a minute ago, something? Uh, I'm happy or something like that. Didn't we just sing that a minute ago? 
Yeah, because my sins are gone. We have joy as the people of God in the midst of a dark day. Joy. So say them with me. Number one, right, justification. Number two, joy and air. Number three, number four, great words of the Bible that begin with the letter J. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for our Bibles tonight.